Welcome to ASD Engage, a podcast for families of children who are currently waiting for an autism spectrum disorder or ASD assessment. I'm Dr. Heidi Kiefer, a clinical child and adolescent psychologist. I'm Maureen Mosley, a psychometrist. And I'm Sean Brumby, also a psychometrist. We work on teams that assess children for ASD at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital. Each episode, we will present a topic that reflects concerns brought forward by families we work with. You'll hear information regarding the assessment process and insights and information from a variety of specialists. And more importantly, we'll talk directly to families who share some of their personal stories with us in an effort to help guide you through the assessment process. In this episode, we focus on sleep and bedtime which can represent a peaceful slumber of revitalization for some, but a stressful time of butting heads and being overtired for others. Sleep problems such as difficulty falling asleep and repeated awakenings during the night are very common in ASD. Over half of children with autism, possibly as many as four out of every five, have one or more chronic sleep problems. These problems often interfere with learning and can contribute to behavioral challenges. Joining us on today's episode is Kathy Petta. Kathy is a registered nurse here at Holland Bloorview and has been facilitating sleep workshops for families living with autism for over nine years. Welcome, Kathy, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for asking me. Um, Kathy, can you start off by telling us what you do at Holland Bloorview? Yep, I am a registered nurse. Um, I work with the psychopharmacology clinic. I've been working there for 12 years, um, which is basically a... Um, a medication consultation clinic for children with autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders and behavioral challenges. Um, And I've also been part of the core autism treatment network. The core team for the Toronto site, the autism treatment network is a network of clinicians and scientists across North America whose mandate is to improve medical care for children with autism. And so getting into sleep, how did you get involved with sleep issues related related to children with ASD? Okay, well, like you said, it's a really, really, really common challenge for families um, with children with autism. And it came through the ATN actually about 10 years ago. Um, A couple of the the scientists um, in that network were... uh, they, they did a RCT, a randomized control trial, looking at the effectiveness of behavioral intervention or sleep hygiene education for parents and to see how effective that was in um, treating or improving children's sleep. And I was actually one of the educators for that program, for that uh, research study. There was three sites in Toronto was one of the, re- one of the um, sites in that study. Yep. So that's where it started. Um, it was a formalized, evidence-based curriculum. Um, and once that trial was over and the research kind of came out positive, like the, the results were good, um, I was using it in my practice as a nurse at the psychopharmacology clinic. I was kind of taking it on the road into the community. I trained some parent coaches at the old ABA program to develop, to deliver the the um, program, and then a few years ago, um, I was able to offer it as um, like an actual um, clinical program here at Holland Bloorview. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm someone who needs a lot of sleep. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Many of us talk about how we feel when we're not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. So um, we often describe how tired and cranky we can feel, or how mm-hmm. unproductive and groggy. It can make us. Mm-hmm. Um, but what else is going on when the human body is deprived of sufficient sleep for long periods of time? Oh, boy. And how does this affect children? So that's a big question. But all those things that you talk about um, were actually um, described and looked at and measured in, in the research studies. So things like um, increase in core autistic behaviors, irritability, hyperactivity, aggression, all those kinds of behaviors can be exacerbated in kids who are not getting enough sleep. Irritability, like for any of us. 
And how much sleep does a child typically need? And does that vary with age? So that's a really good question. Um, and parents ask it a lot. So there's no real um, concrete answer. There's a kind of, you know, there's an average amount of time that, uh, that you can say that kids, so say under five, you know, the preschoolers need is about 11 to 13 hours a night average, but then you would be looking at a whole spectrum, right? And then for the older kids, they need a little bit less, you know, maybe between eight and 10 hours or something. And whenever I say that to parents here, I'll go, <laughs> that is not happening. <laughs> and kids with autism spectrum disorder have been shown consistently that they are sleeping less. I mean, parent report, like you said, is huge for, um, you know, for, for sleep, sleep disorders in kids with autism. Um, the other thing to, for parents to keep in mind is, especially for the younger kids, is that when you're looking at the amount of sleep um, a child is having, you're, you're taking the nap time as well. So if your child is napping for three hours a day and sleeping for seven hours at night, they're getting 10 hours. That's, that's what, you know, that's what we are, um, that's what we are counting. Um, and there have been, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to so many parents about sleep. Um, and one, I was, I was talking to you, I think one of our, um, one of the parents that I was talking to, his child was eight years old and wasn't going to bed until one in the morning. And then they were having to wake him up um, at seven for school but what was happening was he was in a home daycare he was going back eight years old he was falling asleep at like 4 30 sleep until seven and then parents were keeping him up and so he was having like nine nine and a half hours sleep in a 24-hour period it's just that he was not he was not tired by eight o'clock to go to bed if he was waking up at seven so nap time is really naps are really important when thinking about you know sleep and um, sleep habits and sleep patterns Okay, and so we've also heard the term sleep hygiene, mm -hmm. um, but yes. I feel like it must be difficult to define with respect to the ideal standards. Yeah. So, um, for example, so the basic steps, like we all know, like dental hygiene, it's yeah. pretty straightforward, like yeah. brush twice a day, floss daily, go for cleanings. But for sleep, I feel like people's needs vary depending on so many factors. Yeah. So what exactly is good sleep hygiene? So sleep hygiene is, I know it's a really kind of weird it seems like it seems like clean sleep um but you know sleep hygiene just describes the whole i mean if you're thinking about sleep it's not just about bedtime right it's about what you're doing in the whole of the day so you know when i'm talking to parents i'm talking about developing good sleep habits almost from the minute you wake up right so there's probably i think there's four components of good sleep hygiene or um, behaviors you're talking about the daytime habits and that's looking about you know light you know you want lots of light during the day right and not so much at the night because at night because that's going to be affecting your melatonin production it's about exercise it's about um you know um you know good routines that kind of lead up to bedtime so daytime habits are one important factor um you're looking at you know the bed in the night the sleeping environment Right. And so especially for our kids who can be so sensory, you're looking at setting up a sleep environment for these kids, which, um, you know, is not going to be setting them off and not going to be setting off their sensory needs. Um, and I did I did give you a, a good handout from Moira, our OT, that uh, looks at setting up a really good um, bedroom sleep environment, looking at um, like textures, looking at light, looking at um, noise. Um, looking at common environments, that kind of thing. And then, so that's the second one. The third component would be the evening routine. And it's about, you know, especially with our kids, they love routine, they respond well to routine. So if you've got a good evening routine leading up to actual bedtime, kind of same time for dinner, same kind of time for homework, same time for watching TV, same time, which should not be an hour or so before bed, by the way, because screens are not, although your child may be really calm and chill um, when they're watching screens, screens can actually be pretty activating for these kids. Um, and then, and then the actual bedtime routine, which is really key is like, what leads up immediately before to what, uh, to, to go into bed, right? So it's setting up a really good, consistent, set of activities that train the child to go to sleep 
at the end of all these activities, right? And I talk about setting this up um, and if you can do it as a visual routine, even better, because we know that it's a really, you know, kids with autism learn new skills well with visual routines. Um, and that one, so that the bedtime routine is different from the evening routine in that it starts with, I always kind of say it's bookended between, okay, it's time to get ready to go to sleep. What's next to, okay, time to go to sleep. And it's those six, seven, eight activities in between those two bookends mm -hmm. that you set up. Um, and it's, um, you know, and it, it's individual for each child, right? And for each family in the context in your family, what is you want those, those activities to be, whether it's having a bath, having a shower, you know, most kids have to clean their teeth, um, maybe having a snack, reading a book, having some quiet time, having a hug with the, with the mom. Or the, with the, the caregiver. And when you're setting up that bedtime routine, it's really important to look at um, what, what is, because the idea is that you're going to have your child nice and calm and ready for bed right at the end of the routine. So anything that's kind of getting your child excited or is hard for your child, you want at the beginning. So, uh, for example, cleaning teeth might be really, a lot of our kids, any kids don't like cleaning their teeth, right? So it could be a bit of a battle. So, you know, you would put cleaning teeth at the beginning of the bedtime routine. And if it's too much of a battle, like don't take it out of the bedtime routine and do it right after dinner, right? Or even something like having a bath for some kids is, can be really calming and they can just get, whoa chilled out and ready for bed and other kids are like yay you know let's go <laughs> splash and although they love it it's not calming them down so again you would be considering do you want that bath time to be in your bedtime routine but again and again I've sent you um, resources with pictures for bedtime routines um, and uh, and I always say to parents really and because our kids can be pretty literal is really end the bedtime routine with the pictures or the writing with like you know go to bed, go to sleep, <laughs> you know, like it has to be kind of black and white for it to be successful. The families, when I talk to them about this, they love it. A lot of them will say, yes, we've got a bedtime routine, but we don't do pictures. It just kind of happens. I, I feel like it's important and I feel that families feel that it's been quite successful if we really formalize it and really get it down. And I've also sent you a video out showing parents how to teach their child the bedtime routine as well because that's that's another that's great. that can be difficult yeah and those handouts will be on our website for people to look at after great great a lot of great resources mm -hmm. so you were highlighting the four points of mm. um, sleep hygiene mm -hmm. and including kind of having a bedtime routine so yeah. the events leading up yeah um, we are often dealing with a lot of families mm -hmm. and, and different households every yes. household is different with respect to physical space like we yes. see families in Toronto where a lot of people might be sharing one yep. bedroom and they so do. on um, the number of family members differs um, and even schedules to yep. where parents might be leaving for work overnight yep. and stuff like that um, and a lot of routines are developed around those types of things. Yeah. So how does a family know if they have a good bedtime routine? How does a family know? Yeah. That's, um, that's a good question. And that is a question that I would ask a family, like, do you have a bedtime routine? And a lot of families will say, yes, we have a bedtime routine. And then I would kind of try to dig down, so what is your bedtime routine, right? Um, and some families, they do have a good bedtime routine it's just that sometimes it's not consistent like you said sometimes they haven't really taught it to the child right so although they have a bedtime routine it's not something that's specific to bedtime it's just about okay now we've had dinner now we're going to do this now we're going to do that so I really feel like just nailing it down and getting it specific to five or six different activities that are really the child really knows are specific to bedtime and that at the end of this bedtime routine, once completed, you're training your child's body to actually go to sleep. And the expectation is really, really clearly conveyed that at the end of this routine, it's actually going to be time for sleep. Now, like you said, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think one of the last families 
that I was in my um, my program last week. I mean, they were there were three families in like a three bedroom apartment, and each family had a bed, mm-hmm. and um, you know the the sleeping arrangements were they were all in, and that, that's common, right? Yep. That's common, and so it it, it is. Um, it's up to, for me. I just leave it up to families to decide what is your goal. You know, what is your goal? Um, and that's what I start off every session with. What is your goal? Um, you know, what do you really want to get out of this session? And how will you know that you've gotten what you need out of this session, right? Mm-hmm. And for some families, it's just to know that sleep is difficult. <laughs> you know, that they're not, their child is not, they're not alone, right? Okay. That their child is not an anomaly. Every other child is not sleeping 12 hours a night and their kid is up every two hours, the only one. Um, and some families, I feel like that would be the only thing they take away from that is that they know that it's difficult and they're just able to deal with it. Some families want real, um, you know, specific strategies and there's a lot that we talk about. Um, and yet in a situation where you've got four or five people in a bedroom, what, what is your goal here? You know, do you want your child to learn to fall asleep alone? Mm-hmm. You know, and so there are then strategies to help you deal with that. Um, do you want, um, how, how are you going to deal with the other siblings, you know? Um, and a lot of families, if they decide to do this, they'll put all their kids on the bedtime schedule, right? They'll put them all on. And some of the older children actually like helping the one with, or the other children like helping. Some families decide they're just going to deal with one kid at a time. Like, it's so different, right? It's so different. Um it's just hard. It's not easy. Like yeah. sleep, these sleep issues are not easy and there's no easy fix. And they all, there's no, that's why the other thing I always preface every session I do, I'm not going to be able to wave a magic wand and make your children sleep better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm just not. It's, it's up to you to decide what it is you want to be doing, what's your goal, and which out of this you know, this out of this conversation and the strategies that I'm presenting to you, do you feel are going to be able to work in the context of your family with your child? And I can help and support you through that. Well, Kathy, we thought you had a magic wand for sleep. No, I don't. You, I, you know, <laughs> and in the psychopharmacology <laughs> clinic, a lot of the kids come to us with really, really well ingrained sleep problems yeah. that have been going on for years. Because by the time they get to us, they're 12, 13, 14, right? And by that time, we're looking for medication, and the truth is, there is no medication, sleep medication that's been approved for use in children. Right. Right. None of the, you know, like Zarbaclone or Imavine. We do use those, and we mm-hmm. hope to use them short term, um, but they're not, you know, they're not approved for use in children. Mm-hmm. Melatonin is the big one yeah. that everybody's heard of, and a lot of our kids in um, the sleep in psychopharmacology clinic are on melatonin. Lots of, I, I've sent, I think there was um, this resource on melatonin for the parents to look at and what I sent to you guys. So there's lots of evidence and research into melatonin safety and, you know, effectiveness in children. And we've had kids in the psychopharmacology clinic who've been on it for many years. Um, and for those who don't know who, what melatonin is, how it is. So melatonin, it? it's a hormone that your body produces naturally and it's, um, it regulates sleep. That's basically what it does. Um, and you can buy it over the counter. It doesn't need a prescription. Um, in various doses, I think from up to 1 till 10, I think research has shown that anything up to 9 milligrams, anything after 9 milligrams does not show any added benefit. But any clinician will recommend you start at the lowest dose, which I think is 1 milligram, um, to see if that works, because for some kids it can knock them out. Um, and, um, you know, work up higher doses if you need it, but anything over nine is probably not worth it. And there's two forms, there's immediate release and then there's sustained release. I think most evidence is for immediate release. It lasts for about four hours. It lasts for two sleep cycles. Mm. So it's not going to help your child with night awakenings. It might help them go to sleep, um, but it's not going to help them with night awakenings. And then the, the sustained release in theory, would last for eight hours. Um, it's slowly released over the night, but I don't think there's as much success with that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, there's various recommendations on how to give melatonin. Um, I know that Wendy Roberts, who I used to work with, would recommend to, you know, that melatonin to work with a natural release of melatonin would be best given, you know, when your child is already calm, already in a darkened room and all ready to go to bed. Mm -hmm. And then you would give it. And then there's another school that would say you may want to give it around dinner time so that then it works with. So I'm not really sure when the best time to give it would be. Um, the doctors may have a little bit more to say on that. And, uh, and but it's always, I would never recommend it. I would always say, you know, go to your doctor and ask, ask them as right. a nurse. I yeah. wouldn't be recommending um, even supplements without them running it by their doctor. Yeah. Um, and the other thing which we haven't talked about, and I don't know if you're going to be asking it when, I mean, the other thing that I first want to, um, you know, um, talk about with families is, you know, you really have to, eliminate medical or physical contributors to sleep issues. And they're kind of sometimes overlooked, right? Especially with our kids with autism who may be nonverbal, who may not be able to say what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. And we see it's a sleep issue and that's the one that's got to be fixed. But anything that's causing any kind of discomfort or um, so like, you know, constipation is a really common um, cause of sleep issues. Yep. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been constipated chronically but it's really really uncomfortable <laughs> and it's going to keep you awake at night or wake you up at night sleep apnea so um you know if your child is having like episodes where they're stopping breathing even like for milliseconds at night that is also going to accept, affect sleep and that would have to be investigated by a doctor um reflux you know is a really other common um like Acid indigestion, I guess, is what <laughs> the common the common word for it is. Um, seizures. Kids are having seizures at night. If there's suspicion of seizures, that should definitely be um, investigated. Um, any kind of discomfort, dental pain. Um, and some of those things, too, like you're saying, the constipation, acid yeah. reflux. As adults, we have a hard time knowing what that is. Yeah, for, exactly. For a kid, they... Yeah. Probably yeah. just don't know what's going on. And they don't know what's going involved. on. There yeah. is a lot of pain. So it's really important if, you know, if your child is just started with new sleep issues to get go to the doctor and get that all assessed. And even if they've got chronic sleep issues, to get them periodically assessed, right? Yeah. Um, and the other one is medications. Like if your child is on medications, then some medications can affect sleep. And thinking... You know, the most common one would be the ADHD, the stimulant medications, which one of the side effects is, um, you know, sleep disturbance, yeah. especially for the longer acting ones. Yeah. So that is something with all behaviors, though, that is something not to be, um, you know, they have to be ruled out. Yeah. Before you're looking at a behavioral approach. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was reflecting a little bit on what you were saying, Kathy, about like when you were responding to what's a good bedtime routine, mm -hmm. right? And you can't um, like wave a magic yeah. wand. Yeah. Um, but I was also thinking too, um, at times um, parents might need a little bit of help or guidance recognizing when it's time to change a routine. Yeah. It's not always going to just stay static. Yeah. Right. So oftentimes like as siblings are getting older, mm -hmm. implementing different r bedtime routines depending on age because yeah. otherwise bedtime becomes really stressful when you have to put all three kids yeah. to bed at the same time. Yeah. Another thing that comes up with the younger kids too is often parents giving like a bottle before bed right? Uh, when they're preschoolers. And then having to wake them up or them yeah. waking up to use the bathroom, which can yeah. interfere with toilet training as yeah. well, right? Yeah. Do you find that sometimes like... Um, so that that is good. That is It's good that you brought that up because in relation to another thing that I'm talking to parents about is, you know, when you're thinking about... So parents have issues with the initial falling asleep at night, but yeah. then also night awakenings, yes. right? And one of the things that um, we talk about is that for your child, so for your child to be able to, everybody wakes up at night, basically, right? We're not all solid asleep, like deep asleep the whole time. Like sleep is in cycles, right? The sleep cycles. And so at the top of the sleep cycle, all of us, every single person will either wake up or be less deeply asleep um, and then because we know how to kind of put ourselves back to sleep, we would 
for those of us who's not insomniacs. I am an insomniac, by the way. <laughs> the sleep, the sleep expert in the whole of here is an insomniac. Um, but you know, you would, you know, you would be able to, you would know how to put yourself back to sleep, or you whatever. So when parents say my child, and it, this is usually an issue when parent when the child is sleeping with the parents, right? Mm-hmm. That they're aware of the child waking up every couple of hours mm-hmm. because the child wakes them up. Mm-hmm. But it's not the waking up that your child, you, you know, it's not the waking up that's the issue. It's this not being able to put themselves back to sleep without mom mm-hmm. soothing them or giving them their bottle or whatever it is. Or even if they're on their own bed, they waking up and parents have to go in and give them a bottle or soothe them or whatever it is they do. Right. And so what what I really stress is and what's been taught to me is that if what a child needs to put themselves back to sleep again when they wake up at night is the same environment as when they went to bed. So if your child if you're putting your child to bed in his own bed but you lie in with him to help him go to sleep. He's got the light on. He's got the TV. He's got a bottle. Um, and that's all putting him to sleep. And then as soon as he's sleeping, you kind of leave in. Mm-hmm. When, he's, when he wakes up, or, you know, his, uh, he, his arousal is, you know, fairly light. He's in the lightest stage of sleep and he wakes up. He hasn't got any of those things mm. to help him put back to sleep. So he's calling for mom, right? And so... One of the things I talk about is all those things are fine if that's what they need to fall asleep. And if you are fine, you know, tons of families co-sleep, which is, you know, you know, individual choice. It's all good. But just know that they're going to need that kind of consistent when they wake up. All those things pretty much have to be in place for them Mm. to go back to sleep again or to be able to put themselves back to sleep again. Otherwise, you're going to be able to have to help them. So some families, like their, their child falls asleep in front of the TV, which is good, but then the TV's got to stay on all night so that when they wake up, they can fall asleep, you know. Mm-hmm. And there have been, um, especially with our kids with autism, there's a whole, always a little twist with our kids. They're so great. They're so cool. But, you know, that um, families are finding that they like music to fall asleep and they'll fall asleep during a certain song. Right, mm-hmm. but it has to be in that certain. It can't be. You can't just play the same song. It has to be this song, this song, this song. Then this is the song they're going to fall asleep to, right? right? And so when they're waking up, that all needs to happen. They need again. the same sequence. Yeah, right? yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Actually, I'd never thought about that mm-hmm. before, but that's really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you touched on um, briefly naps before as well. So yeah. it can it can be difficult to manage sleep. Um, when especially children are in daycare settings yes. during the day and naps are often part of that routine yeah. at the center or at uh, mm-hmm. home daycare. Are there any do's and don'ts around napping? So pretty, the most important thing around napping is like no nap. I mean, naps should be done by three, four o'clock, okay. right? Yeah. And you're also looking at what time do you want your child to go to sleep? Some families, like I have one family who doesn't want their child to go to sleep until 10 o'clock because dad comes home late from work. They like to have a family dinner. And so they, they're they okay with, you know, 10 o'clock. So then you're looking at the, a later nap. But that's what you've got to remember is the later your child is sleeping during nap time, the later they're going to be going to sleep. The longer nap they have, the less sleep they're going to have at night. Daycares are often an issue especially when the child is just that little bit older when they kind of want to give up their nap Mm -hmm. but they can't so I have actually talked to families about talking to the daycares to see if they can shorten their naps or have um, you know have them doing something else while the children are the other children are sleeping I've actually written letters to daycares to to because some families are too afraid to ask I think that I think just the golden rule about naps is the same with sleeping is routine, you know, same time for waking up, same time for going to bed, same time for nap. Yeah. Right? yeah. And we didn't talk about that, but that is another thing that is really important, especially if you're wanting to train the body, um, you know, for sleep at certain times is same time for bed, same time for going to sleep, seven days a week as much as possible within an hour or so. Yeah. yeah, I think I like what you said too about like by three or four a nap should be done. Yeah, it should be done. Yeah, I've t- I've talked to a lot of parents and families where a nap is happening mm-hmm. at like six o'clock at night, yeah. and then and again that's okay to... as long as they know that that's going to affect the bedtime. Yes. 
right? There's no magic formula to letting your child have a nap until six and then getting them to bed by eight. It's, you know, and if that's, again, it's just about talking to families about what are your goals? Like, you know, what, what is it that you want? What are you comfortable with? What are you okay doing? This whole sleep hygiene intervention thing can be really, really hard for the whole family. Mm -hmm. You know, any intervention strategies you decide on doing, the whole family has to be on board. Mm. You know, um, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. But, um, you know, and some families will say at the end of the session, can't do it. Like, can't do it some families after trying for a few days will say that was way too hard I can't keep keep doing it and so what I and and the thing is what I always suggest and what any sleep person will say is that you know decide on a time when you feel that your whole family is going to be I'll be able to be on board when it's a time when you feel able to deal with sleep deprivation because it's not going to be easy. Your child is probably going to fight you on it mm-hmm. to see if you really mean it. Um, and that you can do it for two to four weeks consistently because we're building new habits and they take time to build new habits. And you have to go through that classic behavioral extinction burst where you know, you've put an intervention in, a change for the child, the behaviors and the crying and the coming out of the bedroom are going to get higher and higher until they kind of reach a peak where it's like, okay, so I guess mom and dad really mean it. And then the behaviors will go down. So, and you have to decide if that's what you really want to do. I, I, I think it's good to hear that it's, it's a whole family type. It's a whole family situation versus it just being the onus on one person to be looking after that. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole family have to want the one thing, same thing, right? Like if mom is okay with going in and out of the bedroom and the little one crying and dad isn't, then, you know, something needs to be Mm -hmm. resolved there. I've also had families where dad has said, you know, we both want it, but she just can't do it because whenever the baby cries, I've even had one family where mom went to her mother's for two weeks so dad could train the little one. Oh. Yeah. And oh. another thing that I had um, with um, one of the dads asked me if, if he let the little one cry, and she was like four or five at this time, was her autism going to get worse? Oh. So that's also, you know, mm-hmm. was con- I haven't heard that one as well, but there's all kinds of concerns in the background around dealing with sleep and letting children be distressed that um, that are concerning to families as well that you have to take into account yeah. and be sensitive to. Kathy, you so. also mentioned earlier when we talked to you yeah. um, about talking to neighbors potentially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know I've done that. <laughs> because a lot of my families, they live in, like, and some families are saying we're at the point of being evicted right because Mm -hmm. our child is sleeping and screaming at night and so again I've written letters I've told them just go and talk to your neighbors and say that you're going to be doing this for two two to four weeks please just you know be patient um, and just let them know what's going on right and um, some families have done that and that's been okay uh, but they just need to lay me in a little bit of encouragement to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like sleep training involves a lot of letter writing. Oh, <laughs> your writing. Yeah, it can do. It can do. Some families will say, oh, can I do that? I could go and t- knock on the door and say, yeah, just go and tell them. Yeah. Just tell them what you do and tell them what you're trying to do. But you're preparing them for the fact that, like, any change that you introduce, sometimes yeah. things get worse before they oh, get better. Oh, well, yeah. We know that, right? Yeah. Things do get worse before they get better. And it's actually a thing in behavioral, you know, analysis terms, right? The extinction burst. It's a thing. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really difficult for parents to know when their child is truly tired. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to read the signs and oftentimes they can see by... For example, the child's body language or behavior mm-hmm. that they seem tired, but then they put the child in bed and then the child could seem to come to life mm-hmm. and have no interest in sleeping mm-hmm. at all. So some parents tell us that their child knows when they need to sleep. And in some cases, the child's sleep patterns seem to, to rule the household mm-hmm. at time. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts around following the child's lead with respect to sleep? 
Again, I think that that is entirely up to families. Mm -hmm. Like, I really do. I think the problem with that is you can get into some really crazy situations with following the child's lead. Um, it may be that the child's lead is, I mean, and we're not talking about babies here, right? Um, but the older children where you're following their lead, um, if it works for your family and you feel everybody's getting enough sleep, mm -hmm. I wouldn't argue with that. Again, it's all down to parents' goals. I did have a family really early on um, who followed the child's lead, and he was about nine years old, this little guy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it started off with, um, I think, I mean, he was in his own bed, and then he got sick or something, so then he was coming into his parents' bed, and they were okay with that. And then he didn't want to be in the bed, he wanted to fall asleep on the couch, but he needed the family to be there. And then they would take him to bed, and then he would go back down on the couch, and so the, the mom needed to be down there with him. Anyway, there was this whole set of circumstances over about a year, and by the time they came to me, he was sleeping on the couch, mom was on the floor, holding his hand, and every time he woke up, she had to read him a book. Oh, wow. And so this is where they'd gone to. Right. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's not a problem. But the problem was both parents were lawyers, mm -hmm. both. Um, and they had to they were everybody was not sleeping, including the little one. Right. right? And so um, it was pretty intense. But we did actually end getting him. They their goal was at that point they wanted to get him back in his own room, in his own bed, sleeping without them. It was very, very like um, clear what they wanted right. so again I again I always follow families leads I you know I don't feel like I've got any right to say this is what you should be doing with your child and this is what you know your child how they should be sleeping but you tell me what you want and if I can I can help you with that right so Kathy in a previous episode we were talking about how children with ASD often experience sensory input very differently than mm -hmm. many of us so we heard stories of children who refuse to eat certain foods because of their texture mm -hmm. or play with certain toys because of their color or won't enter certain settings because of specific smells or noises. Mm -hmm. Do you see any similar sensory associations mm -hmm. with sleep? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there can be. Mm -hmm. um, textures. I mean, when you're looking, I mean, you have to know your child, right? So if he's in PJs that are scratchy in some way or he can feel the seams or the label or something then yeah that that could be affecting sleep sheets mm. um some kids like warm some kids like cold so you've got to know what you know you may think that they're too warm but they may not be you know so these are the kinds of investigative things or knowing your child um is important um some families do have uh white noise so fans there's even white noise machines i think um, and they find that that helps. The thing is, with those, the same as what we were talking about before, for them to be effective, they need to be going all night, right? Not just to help the child go to sleep. But I never recommend introducing, like, white noise if they haven't already done it, um, unless they think I'm going to... If they decide that they want to do it, that's fine, but, you know, it's kind of better if they're not already dependent on that to kind of, you know, just to continue with that and maybe use some other strategies. Light... You know, some kids can be, like, the slightest little bit of light can be affecting them. So we've talked about temperature, noise, light, textures. I think that's pretty much it. And there is there is a resource um, on creating a really good sensory bedtime envi bedroom environment that I sent to you guys. It's really good, actually. That's great. Before, Kathy, you were talking about helping kids to wind down at right. the end of the night so they're not yeah. um, kind of hyped up <laughs> and able to fall asleep easily. Um, and oftentimes, though, we're coming encountering families who kids are watching TV yeah. or on tablets and screens and stuff like that yeah. right before bedtime. Right. Are there any good guidelines about screen activity? So the bed? guideline for screen is what is recommended. Parents will go, <laughs> it's like two hours before bed. Probably no screens, right? Um, it's not possible for a lot of people. Um, so an hour would be really good for no screens. And screens, we're talking about TV, computer, tablets, 
cell phones. Um, and it can be hard because our kids, all kids, adults, you know, we're, uh, I don't know, we're welded onto our electronics, all of us. So it is difficult, but I guess it's important for families and parents to understand is that although your child seems nice and calm while they're playing on the screen or watching TV, there's actually a lot of processing light coming at them um, that is you know, can be, I don't know if I'm using the scientific terms here, probably not, but activate in the brain that is going to make it harder for them to fall asleep. Um, and so, again, it's a decision to be made. I know that on um, tablets now you can, there's like, a, what's it called, the, the blue screen, or mm -hmm. the blue light thing. I, I read on my tablet before I go to bed, and I always put that, put that down. Um, because a lot of the kids are reading on their tablets now, they're not having books, and so and it does help them to, to uh, to go to sleep. Um, so that's what I'd say about screens. The other thing I wanted to say is you were talking about like getting them all calmed down. I just have another story, and I love this story. I'm <laughs> so one of the very first families that came through the research study actually was a mom and a dad, and they had five boys on the spectrum five boys on a range of spectrum and what dad loved to do every single night and mom and I was talking about this and mom was saying see see you shouldn't be doing that you shouldn't be doing that and so what he would do like just before bedtime to get them tired out was to take them down into the basement and have a game of mini sticks mini <laughs> hockey sticks <laughs> And, but it was a great time. Like the kids loved it. Dad loved it. Mom was going crazy because then she had them all to try and calm down and go to bed. But I guess the other thing is about exercise right before bed. Like we talk about, you know, exercise during the day is really important because you've got to get your body tired. You got it. So if exercise is really important, but it's really not the best time to do it an hour or so before bed. You want to be doing it either earlier in the evening you know, or um, during the day, but a game of mini sticks with five kids and dad is not, just before bed, is not a good thing to help kids calm down or tire them out. Or another thing is, you know, a lot of our kids like jumping on the trampoline, right? Or doing some kind of movement at least two hours before bed. Yeah. <laughs> like a I know, that's my favorite, my favorite story. I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Kathy, we've been hearing from some parents about how the pandemic has affected no. many of their household routines, yes. sleep being one of them. Yes. Um, has this been coming up in yes. your workshops? It's been coming up everywhere across the board, as I'm sure it has with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that, to be honest. But yes, it's come up in the psychopharmacology clinic in terms of behaviors in terms of kids have gotten their sleep totally turned around now they're going to bed at two in the morning they're waking up at 12 they're you know um a lot of families especially during the initial lockdown when they couldn't even go out you know using screens you know like who you know there's nothing else for these kids to be doing um so yes yes i've got no answer to that other than yes um, what I'm finding right now is with the kids going back to school and them getting back on their regular routine, um, I'm not seeing it too much yet, but the hope is that, you know, first of all, they're going to school, they're doing more exercise, so they've got their daytime sleep hygiene happening a bit, they're using their brain, they're getting their body more tired out, they've got a routine of going, like, get, they're up at seven, they, you know, whatever, and then you can get your evening routine happening around bedtime, around, um, dinner and homework and then your bedtime routine so the hope is that now that there's this kids are back to school and kids kids are getting back on routines and getting tired and doing some exercise that hopefully it will correct itself but you know how it is with our kids right it takes a while now it's a big transition so and a big change and routines seem to be the main thing yeah i mean for any of us yeah. with sleep Right. If I'm like I have to, I'm in bed by nine o'clock. If I'm in bed by ten, I'm not asleep till one because I'm. I don't know what happens. You know what I mean? Like it's just this routine just seems to be really important for sleep. Yeah. And so I got no magic answers with the COVID epidemic. I just know that it's across the board. I take 
you know, with my work with the psychopharmacology clinic where I'm taking calls from families around behaviors and medications and side effects, that's the theme across the board. And tons more screen time than they've ever been, mm -hmm. than has ever been allowed before. And now we've got Zoom school, right? And so it's more, more screen, screen time. Yeah. 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 Also heading into fall and winter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Changes, yeah. But, you know, I mean, all I can, you know, it's, it's just, you know, exercise is really important. Outside air is really important. And as much, I mean, light during the day is, is really important. And, you know, we would love natural light, but when Canadian winter, how much natural light do we get? An hour a day? I don't know. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like bright lights on in your house during the day. And, you know, you can even do things like, you know, like dimmers just to get your house getting gradually darker as as the night goes on that's a good idea yeah 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 like they do on planes exactly <laughs> that's exactly what it is well that's that's to do with your melatonin production and utilization right so melatonin is regulated by light and dark so in the morning you know it's recommended that as soon as you wake up you get a great good blast of light you open your curtains you get a good blast of light um, turn on all the lights and so you know and as the light goes up your melatonin production is going down and then as the evening progresses as, as it gets darker darker your melatonin production is going up so um, Kathy with the strategies that you've mm. talked about uh, mm -hmm. and helping to think about how to promote better sleep and bedtime routines what are some of the challenges um, that parents face that come up when you're trying to get them or help them implement these strategies so I think one of the main, what commonly comes up is, oh, I've tried it and my child, it hasn't worked. And it's not that I don't believe parents, I believe they have tried it and it hasn't worked. But then I'll say, so how long did you try it for? <laughs> and, um, and so these, these strategies we're particularly talking about, well, you know, they want them to sleep the, in their own bed and they'll go through the whole bedtime routine. Um, and then they'll leave them in their bed and then they will leave and then the child starts crying or starts coming out. And their goal is to have them sleeping in their bed. It's not Kathy recommended, that's their goal. And so they'll t try it for t two or three nights and the child is crying, they're coming out and they'll say it hasn't worked. Remember to change a habit, it takes a lot longer than two or three nights. Um, and so it could take two weeks to a month so consistency is important if that's what your goal is right to be consistent so that your child knows that yes this is what's going to happen I have to sleep in my bed and that's where the bedtime routine visual schedule comes in really handy because then your child has got expectations that he knows what's expected of him and then you can refer back to the visuals um, so that I think that's the most common is we've tried it it doesn't work, he's still crying. And um, you have to decide whether, you know, whether you're going to be able to tolerate or whether you want your child to be crying and resisting the new behaviors you're expecting of him. Yeah. I think that's the commonest and it's the toughest, right? Yeah. Because the longer that goes on for, the tighter you're getting. Um, especially when it's happening in the middle of the night mm -hmm. and you have to do exactly the same thing, right? Keep taking them back into bed or ignoring it or whatever, whatever it is you decide, um, you know, you want to do. It's tough. You also alluded to the importance of the consistency between mm. parents mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even describing how like one parent had to move out <laughs> for yeah. a couple of weeks <laughs> to get a schedule on yeah. track. Eh? Yeah, no, it is. It's you know, if and then then, you know, our child knows children know, right? They know that if they keep it up long enough, um the one that usually comes in is gonna come in, right? Or um it's hard to leave your child crying though. It's really hard. You know what? At the end, like I always say this right at the end of every session is that, you know, take one or two, decide on what your goal is, or we decide on the goal, you know, one or two of these strategies that you think you can implement for two to four weeks consistently every night. Um, and if then you feel like you've given it a really good try consistently for two to four weeks and it's still not working, then I would go back to your doctor. Okay. 
and that's what I always but it's really useful to have even a log of what you've tried you know a log of your child's sleeping and waking time the interventions you've tried so you can take it to your doctor and say look I went to see Kathy Pettit at Holland Blow of You. I listened to Kathy Pettit on the podcast. She said to do this every night for two to four weeks. It's not worked. And this is what I've done. Because whenever you go to a doctor, they first of all, they, they may, you know, eliminate or, you know, rule out some medical stuff. Um, and then they're going to give you the sleep hygiene um, education. Maybe not as detailed. You'll probably get some ideas. And then... Um, that's the first thing they're going to do. So it's really good to have a log and documentation of what you've tried, how long you've tried it for, how consistent you've been, and your child's response to it. Okay, Kathy, so what's the one <laughs> takeaway, if there is one takeaway, that you can give parents um, who are currently struggling with their child's sleep? Right. Well, I don't have one takeaway, actually. I can't have one of anything. <laughs> it's impossible. I have a few. So the first one is, like, you're not alone. Like, you're not alone. Um common it's very common in um, kids with ASD to have sleep issues um, I would say decide on one goal like try not to do too much you know like just decide on one aspect of your child's sleep that you want to work on and you know a strategy or intervention that you feel that you can do consistently like I've said this a long consistency is so so important um, and you know good luck Good luck. Whole family on board. It's not easy. It's really not easy. I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that if you do this, 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 everything's going to be cured. It's not easy. Um, it takes a lot of commitment and persistence on um, on parents' parents' part. Great. Mm -hmm. yeah. So thank you, Kathy, for joining us for this episode and talking about sleep, which it seems like a more complicated issue than one would <laughs> initially think. <laughs> but we appreciate your insights and all of the resources um, and handouts that Kathy mentioned throughout the episode will also be linked on our website. Great. Thanks, Thanks for having me, guys. If you've listened to this episode and have comments or ideas that you'd like to share with us regarding future episodes or what you heard today, feel free to email us at asdengage at hollandbloorview.ca.